Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You're listening to the Sands Pants Network. Home of comedy, (laughs) culture, adventures, and ghosts. Welcome to Bookish. I'm George Demarellis. This is a show where we ask you what's your story and what does it say about you. Today on the show, we have a memory athlete, memory coach, and two-time winner of the Australian Memory Championship, of which she was the first female to win this title in Australia. She's also a former professional ballet dancer, and as well as having a Bachelor of Economics, Anastasia Woolmer. Um, thank you for being on. We've had a bit of a delay in getting this together. It's been uh, three, four months of trying to back and forth. It has, but here we are. It looks like you're a very busy person. Uh, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't get the timeline there looking up your stuff about the uh, memory championships versus uh, everything else, I guess. So was that like one of the things that really led to you being busier or have you always been just flat out and then like? Oh, I think I like to keep busy. I definitely yeah. am someone who likes to keep, you know, challenging yourself and learning things even before the memory techniques. So I think I've always been busy, but I do seem to be getting a little uh, a little busier trying to Little. Nice, yeah. Like, I mean, I've I've got a passing very big interest in the memory technique, so I, I'm so happy to have you on. I've got so many questions, but uh, I guess before we go into all of that, we can start with a book and then jump around from there. Sure. Um, so, your book of choice for today is Shogun by James Clavell. It's a saga. It's a big, long, epic saga, and it's great. <laughs> yeah, I haven't actually read it. It's one of those ones which it's been sitting on my shelf forever because I've been told mm. it's a delight. Basically, it's a it's a pleasure to read. Yeah. So I'm always saving it for like, oh, when I'm in the mood, because it's big as well. Well, yeah, it's the type of book that you kind of want to have a week, and you just you don't have much else to do other than just snuggle up on the couch and get immersed in this in this tale. Mm. Well, for me, it's not one that you can pick up and put down and pick up and put down. You sort of got to get right into it. Yeah. Um, so I guess for just a very brief summary for it, it's essentially a, a Westerner gets washed up in Japan in the 1600s. And then uh, he essentially becomes part of the society and slowly works up the ranks to become a shogun. Is that correct? Uh, no. No. So, no, no, no. no. Okay. So, <laughs> so Lucky he, you corrected uh, me. Okay. He's an English pilot, as in pilot mm-hmm. of a ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1600 and something, and he is on a Dutch warship called Erasmus. Um, it gets washed, it gets shipwrecked off the coast of Izu in Japan, 
And essentially him and his crew are sentenced to death uh, originally by the local samurai of that area, Kasugi Omi, I think. And, oh, actually it was his uncle. He called in his uncle Yabu and, and they were sentenced to death. And then I haven't read this for a number of years, I just have to say. So I just want to put that out there. But basically they're sentenced to death and then Omi, this uh, nephew of the of Kasugi, oh, it's very in-depth as you can tell, it's a saga. But basically Damn. he convinces his uncle to spare their lives because they might be useful to learn about European culture and, you know, could have some value. So uh, their lives are spared and all of their contents of their ship and everything are forfeit and they decide to keep these prisoners as their own property. But word gets out to the ruler of that area who was at Torinaga and he sends his trusted advisor to come and uh, sort of say these are, you know, this landed in my area, these are my property, and he takes over them. Basically, to cut a long story short, Captain Blackthorn, who is, they call him Ajin-san, which is pilot in Japanese, he becomes a trusted advisor of Toronaga, who is uh, president of the Council of Regents in Japan. And so he becomes his trusted advisor and Hatamoto, which means he can have instant, you know, he can have audience with him at any time. But really, like, you know, all of that history and blah, 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 blah aside, um, it's a tale about someone who has landed somewhere where everything's foreign, the culture's completely different, your life's always being threatened, you can't show what you really think. And as he grasps the Japanese culture and the Japanese language, he works out how to survive and how to succeed in that environment. And he learns to, you know, respect the Japanese culture. And it's, there's this whole idea of the inner self and who you are really is different to who you portray you are, you know, who you actually are. But actually the reason I chose it as the book for this, you know, it's really hard to choose a favourite book, right? So yeah. I actually chose it because it was a book that had a big impact on me when I read it. It was I was a ballerina when I read it and I had schooling up to year 10. I didn't grasp any of the names or the facts or anything else in it because I'm just not one of those people who has a naturally good memory. And that is the epitome of what always disturbed me about not being able to remember information. I haven't actually read it since I've become a memory champion and I'd like to because then I'll actually be able to give you a good account rather than the rambling sort of <laughs> the odd fact in here or there account that I just yeah. gave you. So it's to me it epitomises why I love memory techniques because it means you can read stuff like that and not only enjoy it and immerse yourself in the wonderful story but you can come away with some of the names and the facts and all the things in it. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I mean long spiel. That, that's all right. Like, I mean, it's funny how, like, look, I think that's basically, that was, that was one of the theories I would have had. It's a very long book. So I wasn't sure if that was actually something afterwards or before you would have looked at it. You walk away from it when you read it and you don't maybe remember it that well. And all you got left is vibes and you're like, that was a good time, but you don't actually remember much of what actually happened. Yeah. So, yeah. And the most disturbing thing about that is if you're a person like the natural memory me, it's disempowering because, you know, you hang out with someone and, or, you know, you're, you're out somewhere with people and you go, oh, there's this really great book. You should read it. It's called Old, um, oh, it's about this guy in Japan. It's old. I don't know when. It's written by oh, the author. You know, he's written all those big Asian sites, you know, and so you can't actually with any credibility or any sort of, you can't share those facts with anyone mm -hmm. and that means that you're, A, you don't tend to share them, you keep it to yourself and it's disempowering and it also means that you can't get the full enjoyment of whatever it is you, you are sort of immersed in mm. without all those oh. facts, so. 
Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I think I agree because I think some people can think like memory as like a very dry, oh, so you can remember when the fall of Constantinople was. That's not really relevant yeah. to the world, but like those are how you tell stories and stuff is mm. having those things to like kind of go back to. So yeah, I 100%... to hang the information onto, to make the story around it, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's like how I can hook in your mind better. And that's also how you can then translate, like you can read another story and yeah. then you can connect the two together and like you can grow yeah. your appreciation for everything just by having those tools. So when you asked me to come on the show and I chose that book, mm-hmm. um, I purposely didn't let myself research it because oh. I've read it before because yeah. I didn't want to come. Because right now, if I research it, I can remember all the facts about it. Yeah, And I didn't want to because the whole point was that's why it was an influential book to me because it just was what irritated me about my own mind for many years is that I'd love reading great novels or, or you know, learning things, but that didn't necessarily mean that I remembered the facts about them. It's just like you didn't have a feeling like you took away from it anywhere near as much as you could have. Yeah, like you say, just the vibe and the feel. I know I loved yeah. it. I know that it was like a transformation. I know, you know, but the yeah. actual, you know, where he travelled in Japan and the names of the, the lover that he had, you know. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I totally understand that. I think uh, – okay, so actually, that was going to be a question I was going to ask you. Uh, so, I mean – Heaps of stuff about the memory related thing and the journey there, but I guess to skip maybe ahead a bit. So, do you read much now? Like, you do a lot of reading now in terms of books and fiction yeah, I and stuff? do. I do do a lot of reading. Well, I read every single night, so I probably read you know a book a week or something like that. And do you use the techniques? When I want to remember the information, yeah. So if it's a factual book, if it's on finance or something, then I will purposely apply memory techniques, and so that at the end of the book, I have what I wanted to gain from it. If it's a book for pleasure then I will remember the name and the author and, you know, the key characters. Information that I know is required in order for me to share it with others. Mm. Oh, so then, and I guess this is because, again, I might be, because I have read a few books on this stuff. Like I read Moonwalking with Einstein, I think is yeah, the most well-known of these book. like memory mm. stuff. Yeah, so like I probably know the techniques, but maybe you want, if you want to give an explanation so people who don't know this stuff at all, kind of what is involved in a memory technique. Yeah, so um, so memory techniques, normally when people think about them, they think about basic mnemonics, like how you spell a word by making a rhyme, like, like fry the end of your friend in friend or something. You know, there's yeah. all these like little mnemonics and that is a form of memory techniques. So mnemonics are what memory techniques are. But what people don't realise and what I didn't know either before I read Moonwalking with Einstein is that you can take those techniques and you can practice them and learn them to such an extent that anyone, anyone that I've ever met can get a phenomenal memory. So going from someone who just, you know, is just has sort of the standard average, I've got a poor memory situation to you can give me right now a page of a thousand digits and I'll come back to you in, in half an hour and I'll be able to tell you the order of them. So and I'm not special. I, did, I just said that for shock value, but it's true. So, so the techniques are just about tapping in into and practicing what we as humans are naturally good at, which is at stories. We're good at remembering stories, the feel of it, like not maybe not the fact of the story, but the feel of the story and the general gist of it. We're good at images. We're good at what something looks like. So if you go to someone's house for the first time and you are standing in their kitchen while they make you dinner, if you go home at the end of that evening and you think about their kitchen, even if you've never been there before, you remember all this information in all this detail. You know, they kept the this over there and the spoons in there and the pots in there because we've got really good visual memories and we've got really good memories for spatial information. 
So it's about using those natural advantages that we have as humans and then learning how to translate dry, boring information or information that we struggle to remember into that style of information. It's like there's all these techniques and people think, you know, you might have heard the term memory palace and that is something that we use, but it can be used to a much larger level than what people think. You know, they think a shopping list or a simple list of facts, but you could remember an entire book of poetry word for word in a big memory palace if you really know how to use the tools. So in terms of like your natural memory where, you know, if I read a book and don't pay any attention now, as in I just be me, I will remember more than I would have before I knew memory techniques because I practice remembering all the time and your brain gets better at it. But really where you get the advantage is when you apply the techniques. So when you go, I'm going to remember, you know, this whole chapter on tort law, then you apply the memory techniques and the increase in memory that you have is just, it's astounding. (laughs) But it's applied, like you've done it on purpose. Yeah, that was actually one thing I was wondering. Yeah, to get the detailed ones, you have to apply the techniques. You can't just like, it doesn't just pick up. You do. But if someone's really keen, and when I've been training for memory competitions, so when you train for memory competitions, you do a lot of like, if it's a couple of days before a big memory, well, not a couple of days, really a couple of weeks before a memory competition, you'd be doing, you know, maybe full days of just memorizing all day and seeing how quick you can be. You do start to use the techniques automatically. So, you know, you meet someone in the street and you, you naturally just apply the techniques and remember their name. Uh, when I'm not in training, it doesn't happen so much. It's like I start to meet someone and think, oh, hang on, I've got to remember their name. And then I use the techniques to remember their name. So, but it's really just about sort of teaching yourself a better way to learn, if you know what I mean, and practicing it. Yeah, I mean, like, and that's why for me, I've had a, one of my majors growing up forever was memory in general, like as in just for life, hmm. actually. I was actually really weirdly good at remembering books that I'd read, but then actual life, I wouldn't remember anything, which is, if you had to pick one, definitely I got the worst one, but I don't know. <laughs> so, so I always was obsessed with like trying to figure out how better to remember just life in general. So I could like, mm. people have experiences. I'm like, I, I don't remember being 15. Like, as it's just, it's a big loss. So yeah, I've always been quite obsessed with trying to figure out techniques for using that. And that's why, and, and names as well for me, was always very bad, which I'm still not great. But like, I mean, for the stuff like names, that's the kind of thing where you associate their name with like an image maybe that you would have. Like it's very image-based, right? Sure, yeah, totally. It's completely image-based. So it it sounds so simplistic and that's what always bugs me when I'm talking about memory techniques because you really have to sort of really practice it and understand it and play with it. But the basic gist of it is exactly that. You know, you look at someone, they say, hi, my name's George. You look at the lovely George and you go, what is this standout feature on this man? And everyone's going to choose something different. And I choose that you've got very animated and strong features, which I like. So I'm choosing the feature and then I'm going, okay, if I think about the name George, what does George remind me of? Well, George is my father's name. Mm -hmm. And if there was something that sort of would be classic about my father is he loves to cook. So I would see my father traipsing all over your strong features, flipping something in a pan. And because your features are strong, you know, he sort of trips over them almost. Sounds really obscure and odd and until you start practicing it, until you try it out and then you go, oh, wow, this works. You know, if you've just met 10 people and you've made this little story for each of them attached to their name, then, you know, you'll probably be quite surprised at how well you can remember their names compared to normal. Well, no, I think, like I said, I've dabbled in and out of it occasionally. And like one of the ones which I saw once was, uh, and I actually practiced it to the point where like a 52 card deck, mm-hmm. I couldn't do it quick. It would take me a long time, but you could get to the point where you remember every card in in order and yeah. that's like which seems outrageous right you know like and everyone's going no you can't you know yeah but anyone can learn how to do it it's just and and I guarantee you if you practiced it you'd get fast you know and hmm. you see that in yourself I see it in other people who I've taught 
techniques too. You know, they start off and they, you know, they're trying to remember a deck of cards in under five minutes and then suddenly they can do it within four minutes and then three minutes and then two minutes and then one minute and then 30 seconds. And then, and the fastest people in the world can remember it faster than my poor little hands can even get through the cards. Like I've actually timed myself going through the deck of cards as quickly as I can. And even if I could get as fast as them, which I could be training, I'm sure, but, you know, it's just the hours that you put into it. I, I can't actually move my hands that quickly. <laughs> that's wild. Yeah, no, that's, that must mean you've... It's like under 10 seconds, you know. I can't go to casinos. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't go and use the techniques, I'm guessing, yet. Yeah, well... Yeah, it seems strange that, you know, you can control someone's brain. You must not use your brain to remember these cards. Mm. I know. That, the, well, this is what I find it so interesting because, like, and I think a lot of people, although I'm so impressed that you actually put in the work. So I guess maybe, again, for people who don't know, what's involved in, like, a memory championship and mm. what's involved in training for it, if you want to give any color on that. But you know, it's, not, it's actually not that bad. It's really not that bad. And maybe I'm coming, for, as you know, it's not that much training. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'm coming from a perspective of I was a professional ballet dancer. And as you've probably seen, if you've seen any stereotypical movies about dancers who make it, they actually like work in that profession. Like it's pretty hard. It's pretty hardcore. There's quite a lot of practice and um, discipline that goes into it. So when I read this Moonwalking with Einstein book, I was like, hmm, this sounds like something that's always disturbed me about my own memory and maybe I should give this a go. And so I just did a whole heap of research, found out the techniques, set up this little training program for myself where, you know, sure, I spent a couple of hours on it a day. You know, I really did get into it and I set a regime and, like, I looked at my stats and this area is improving but this area is not. Why not? Go and research it. You know, so I was a bit obsessive about it. But that's to get to a level where you're the best in Australia. And it's sort of like in order to be useful, you don't need to be the best in Australia. Like in order to, you know, be fit, you don't need to become the fastest marathon runner around. You just need to go for the odd run a couple times a week and you're going to feel a lot better. It's the same. So with memory techniques, it's really just sort of learn the techniques, understand how they work, and then consistently do a bit of training. And if that's like 15 minutes a day, you'll see results. Just just as long as you're doing the right things and if you're using software online that you can get and you follow memory athletes blogs and videos and stuff so that you don't get lost in pseudoscience you're gonna get the results it's just like it's actually just a thing you do a formula you know and it's not that much work Hmm. yeah it's the classic thing right to get like in the top 10 percent of people it's like compared to getting the top one percent it's ridiculous difference and you don't need to be more than that if you're just a normal person areas too like you know when you do a memory competition you know it's how many names can you remember how many binary digits like the order of zeros and ones can you remember i've got the australian record for that or i had it i think i might have been (laughs) i did have it um which is 360 in five minutes. How many words can you remember abstract images? There's all these, like, there's this range of disciplines. But for someone who is like a normal person and doesn't want to do memory competition, normally though there's an area where it would be really useful for them. Like, you know, if they're at uni studying physiotherapy, it'd be good if they could get good at remembering words and text. And if they worked as a programmer, you know, numbers and learning how to remember code would be good. So, it's actually easier than sort of what I was talking about for training for a memory competition because it's really just what's the last hanging fruit? You know, do I need to remember names and faces because I'm in sales or whatever that is? And then get really good just at that memory technique. And, you know, that's probably enough, if you know what I mean, rather than you don't need to go and remember zeros and ones. No, <laughs> and yeah, you can get into it. I mean, it is strangely fun because you make up these crazy kooky stories in order to remember the zeros and ones. So I actually quite enjoy it because it's entertaining. And in a memory competition, actually, when people have these noise-cancelling headphones on and things, often someone will go, hey. 
and have a little giggle, it, especially in Recall, because the story they've made up is so funny in order to write about, you know. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, again, because I've been so interested, like, like the history of it and like with memory and what's involved in it. And I was reading somewhere, I can't remember where, and it was talking about how back in like the 1500s and 1600s, these were still techniques that were used by a lot of people. And one of the things that some people had a complaint about, I just know because I highlighted it somewhere, was the fact that a lot of the time the images you want to use that stand out are filthy. Yeah, filthy, <laughs> like, yeah exactly. So basically it was, it was used also to remember, so basically to remember books because there's no printing press, right? So there are people walking around in that day and age who they are the walking library and they know know the book word for word and where the commas are and where the, you know. So, and some of those books were obviously religious as well. And so, yeah, that's exactly right because when you're making up these stories to remember information, you know, the more vivid they are and the more, like, outrageous, sometimes violent, sometimes rude, sometimes ridiculous, the easier we as humans remember it because that's what stands out, like the unusual in life, not the not the standard. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I mean. They're remembering these religious texts with like some really graphic, maybe very crude yeah. stuff, which is a hilarious <laughs> I don't contrast. Know if we go there. <laughs> I know. Well, we don't have to actually specifically spell out what some of the images have to be. That's all right. Yeah, no, that's so and I guess that's what I find so interesting because like and, and the tying in you which you said yourself there about the ballet dancer versus um the memory techniques, because it's such a muscle and you're learning how to hone that muscle and it's your brain. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it just seems to make so much sense to me to want to kind of improve that a little bit. Yeah, and the brain, it has neuroplasticity at any age. It, it can change. It's not fixed. And that's the thing. I was always of the understanding that oh, I'm born with this memory. This is what I've got deal with it girlfriend and then and then I you know then I find out oh hang on this thing is something that you can actually work and use and grow new neural pathways and more associations and better associations which helps you remember information more easily all around and it's kind of mind-blowing there's this whole area of health that we neglect we go oh you know this year I'm going to be healthy I'm going to exercise and I'm going to eat well and I'm going to get enough sleep I'm not going to drink alcohol no no but we don't go and I'm going to do memory training I'm going to like exercise my mind and learn things and explore new things in order to grow my mind, you know, and grow my ability to think. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, it sounds weird, doesn't it? But I actually 100% agree because like I think it's funny, I was just reading a thing about it as well. And this kind of goes hand in hand, but maybe it's a bit different to the memory technique. But the idea that right now we seem to be such a distraction society, mm. like we're constantly not sitting with anything. So that's the other part I think of memory, which I don't know if you've noticed this yourself of like, it makes you just pay more attention because you're trying to remember things a bit more. So you've like learned to think about it. Longer. Absolutely. And I think that it's a bit of a, um, you know, I don't know if I want to go as far as say a problem with this age, but it's kind of like a common sort of thing I hear is, yeah, but why would you want to be able to remember better when you can just Google everything? And I'm sort of like, well, hang on, there's a few problems here. The first thing is in order to really understand anything on a deep level that's complicated and to analyse it, you need to have remembered some information along the way to be able to process that and analyse it and grow on it. So you can't forevermore Google something. You know, you don't want your heart surgeon stopping mid-surgery and going, wait, let me just Google. Um, <laughs> like at yeah. some point we have to, have to remember information to analyse it. And I mm. feel the same that, you know, with all the distractions and all the, you know, information is just at our fingertips. That's great. And I wouldn't ever want to throw that away because I love having information at my fingertips. But to the same extent, I think it's important to remember some of that information, you know. <laughs> um, look, I can go harder than you in a little bit. Like what, and the example I would probably think of is, 
and this might actually annoy a few people who listen to this <laughs> show, but uh, there's this challenge every year where it's like, how many books do you read every year? And there's like a Goodreads challenge for it or whatever. People are always like competing on that. Mm. And I always see people who post like, anyone who posts, I feel like are more than a hundred books in a year. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> I don't think you should be proud of this anymore. Like you obviously <laughs> don't remember any of this. So like, it's great if you're just there to get vibes, but I feel like you could get more from it if you just spent more time with this stuff. Otherwise you're just kind of doing a sort of longer version of TikTok where it's like, you go through that many books, you're going to remember any of it. Like as in, so I always feel like the memory techniques is so you can actually connect dots between different things. You can be like, oh, this reminds me of that, which yeah, I still exactly, remember from exactly. over there. Yeah, exactly right. You can go, oh, yeah. And if I take that, that I learned over there and oh, maybe that's why that's happening here, you know, like rather than just living in this world of attention flicking around, around, around. Yeah. Like that's, yes, that's part of the reason why I'm so uh, kind of obsessed with the memory techniques. So yes, you found a very willing listener here. <laughs> so to try to tie it back to the book a bit more, I guess, with this. So there's a few quick things. One is, uh, and uh, who knows, this is me just kind of pulling things out to see if it is anything. But I guess one of the things is the Japanese culture that's embedded deeply into the book, obviously. I don't know how much that ties into your own views on stuff. Because obviously, like you mentioned it yourself about the inner self versus the outer self. I was wondering how much that did tie into your views on how life oh, is or whether it was different. It, it resonated with me on a number of levels. And one of them is I'm one of the very many people, I'm sure, who suffer a little bit from imposter syndrome. So I know that was a big word there, but it really is just about, you know, you, you do these certain things throughout your life and people go, oh, that's great, you know, and you sort of feel like, oh, it's, it's really not that great, you know, just, you know, just, just <laughs> um, so you sort of, Never like, and intellectually you kind of go, oh no, yeah, it was good. I was a ballerina. That is good, but sort of the gut level is, oh, but I could have been better. Or you know, the classic is when I went to uni and I had year ten schooling. I didn't know memory techniques back then. That was prior to memory techniques, and so I got into uni just on adult entry. You know, I am a mature student. Give me a test and let me in. And I was just really struggling. Like you know, I was going to not pass. Like in, this is in the first couple of subjects I did. I was. 28, I was pregnant. I didn't have any background in schooling and I was sitting next to 18 year olds who've just finished advanced mathematics. And I'm sitting next to them in the maths class going, oh my gosh, I am old and dumb. And, you know, so what I actually did was I worked like super hard, like ridiculously hard. And I ended up topping, I got a GPA of seven. So I basically topped nearly every course I did. And so, you know, the feedback you get when you do that is, oh, you must be a genius. You must be so clever, which, you know, you feel good about and you go, oh, thank you. But inside you go, well, no, no, I'm actually not. I just worked incredibly hard and I do know how to research. So I do know how to find the answer. If I don't know something, I am good at finding the answer. So that whole inner self thing in the book compared to what you show to the world sort of really resonated with me even back when I read it as a dancer because I'd sort of felt like that my whole life in nearly everything I'd done. And so I, I got really interested in actually in Japanese culture from the book and I ended up spending a year in Japan about 10 years ago. I did the last year of my degree in Japan. Oh. Uh, which was really interesting. And then I sort of experienced what, you know, I mean, the book, it's a novel, right? So it's not all accurate, you know, but it's a bit stereotypical here and there. But there's certainly parts in the novel that are accurate and I felt like how I remembered him feeling in the book. You know, I felt like, oh, this culture is very different and I've just 
done something wrong. I've said something wrong and I can't work out what it is, but I can see from the reactions that were all very polite, but I can see I've done something wrong and like trying to work it out and trying to work out what are the rules here in this society and how do I keep my inner self and, and not betray myself, who I am, but fit in, but still, you know, make friends. And like, There's all these rules and levels in, in Japanese culture that we don't really have in Australia. There's all these unspoken things, you know, and even, you know, if you're speaking to someone who's your superior, you need to use different language to if you're speaking to someone who's your peer to if you're speaking to someone who's like beneath you. But you might be talking to someone and not only you're trying to find the right word, but you're trying to work out, are they my superior? Should I be using the superior terminology? <laughs> so there's this whole extra layer of thinking going on just to not be rude to anyone. So certainly the book, you know, when I read it, had a big effect on me and it continued to resonate with me when I lived in Japan as I tried to understand the world around me. Because we actually went to Japan with our three kids and sent them to Japanese school. So there was a whole heap of, you know, the kids were the first non-Japanese students that the school had ever had in their, <laughs> you know, over 100-year history or something. So <laughs> so I was always aware that I was trying to be a good, you know, <laughs> a good foreigner, like, you know, show that Australians can work out the rules and leave their shoes at the door and things. But it goes a lot deeper than shoes at the door. I just say that because that's the one that everyone knows. Um, and the Japanese are lovely people and they're very polite and they've got a lot to give. And so it was a good mental challenge to try and fit into that. And I did take some advice from the book from way back. <laughs> I mean, this is sounding like more reason than just it was a long book for why you chose this book, to be honest. <laughs> it sounds like it very much shaped things for you. Well, no, it did have an effect on me, you know, like yeah. I, I really did try to think of something that, that shaped me early on as a person, you know, and then as discussed went, oh, no, maybe I can't talk about that one because it's a book that's full of facts and I'm a memory expert and I know none of them because <laughs> I wasn't one back then. You, you felt like an imposter. It's so silly. Yes. <laughs> but like, so uh, look, I think after being two times memory champion of Australia, I think you can, I think you're all right. I can't remember information. No, I like I've got a good memory these days hmm. if I apply it. Yeah. If I don't apply it, it's come up to a level that's, you know, I know I say average and I mean it in two ways. So I said before my memory is average. I mean, average is in less than the bell curve middle. Mm -hmm. Whereas now when I say my natural memory has become average, it's not bad. It's similar to, you know, my husband who has quite a good memory or, you know, just a natural, fairly good memory. But my memory, when I apply memory techniques, it's fantastic. So, you know, I feel confident about that these days, but that whole imposter syndrome thing still comes into it when people, because they don't understand memory techniques, they expect that if they've just told you a whole heap of information, but I have no interest in learning it, they're going to expect that I've remembered it all perfectly because I'm the memory champion. Well, that's not the case. If they'd said to me beforehand, I'm going to test you, you know, that's a different story, right? Mm. So um, so that imposter syndrome thing still does play out because you kind of have to go, well, the memory techniques don't really work like that. <laughs> It's like, uh, yeah, I mean, to go back to the physical thing, it's like someone jogs for the bus and you're like, oh, you missed it. It's like, that's because I didn't want to sprint. <laughs> like, yeah, like, that's it. I'm I haven't done my stretches and stuff. Sprinting like, today. I didn't sleep well last night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that part can be confusing for people, but also like yeah. it's part of what makes it so interesting to me because, yeah, I mean, it's it shows the limits of it. It's not magical. You don't magically become some no. super genius, but at the same time it shows you how powerful it is that, yeah, you're not yeah. a super genius and you can. you can. Yeah, it's not a magic trick. It's not like a false kind of, oh, 
take this pill and you'll be skinny and gorgeous. It's a real thing. You have to work to learn them and you have to work to practice them. But when you've done that, you get this great skill. If you apply yourself, remember, you know, if I went back and did like a medical degree or something now, I know that without memory techniques, you know, I'd be studying my little butt off and doing 10 times the work of everyone else. Whereas these days I would probably have to do a quarter of the work of anyone else and I'd still get really, really good marks. Do you know what I mean? So they're really useful. And I think that's the part which I think, and that's what blows me away. If anyone had kids or anything, like you should teach them this stuff when they're 10 years old because so much of study is recall. Yeah. And you just make it easy. Like, cause it yeah, makes you absolutely. Get- but actually a classic area, like a classic demographic as well that I think it's really useful for is, you know, that sort of middle age to retirement sort of age. It's where our memory naturally as humans starts to, you know, I can't find the right word or, you know, that's the natural sort of decline. But I think that it's really valuable for that age group to learn these memory techniques because it means that you still can go and learn the cello or learn Spanish to travel to Spain, you know, and continue to exercise your memory and have our ability to learn information and have a rich, full life doesn't need to stop just because we've hit middle age. I know you're younger than me, but... You know, like we're allowed to keep growing as individuals and learning and memory is shouldn't be a hindrance. There is something that can be done. Do you know what I mean? A hundred percent. And I think mm. uh, those are the two uses for me personally, if I was like to say, folks, one would be just, I want to remember more of life, which I think stuff like memory palaces and stuff can really help with making mm-hmm. that a, like, I just love like, and this is another one I read somewhere about the history of memory. And it's true. Like if you've got a memory palace set up, which essentially is you just having an area, which you know well, that then you place these things into remember yeah. it. You can literally take a walk down memory lane. Like, as in, you can just sit there and just have, like, ah, oh, I'm going to put that into my good memories yeah. memory palace. And now, whenever I'm bored, I can just sit there and walk down and see 100 days of the best days of my life and just go and relive them all. I, actually, I had this little plan and I discussed it with a friend of mine, and I really want to do it one year, but it's which year do you choose? And that is to put every day of a year into a memory palace. So, forevermore, you could relive that year. So, you could go, ah, April 29. 2022. It was a warm day. I chose to wear my favorite, you know, you could remember that day. And But I sort of wonder if it'd be kind of like, you know how when you look at a photo and you remember, you know, you went to on a trip somewhere and all you remember are those 10 photos that you took. You remember mm. those moments and that whole, you know, evening or whatever, just from that photo. Mm. But all the other days in between you forget. So that's kind of like what the memory palace for each day would be. You'd have like these series of photos for each day, but you could pluck them easily from your mind. Someone would go, well, tell me what happened on your birthday that year or, you know, actually your birthday you might remember anyway. So more more just random, mundane, what happened on the 2nd of February, you know. Yeah, which is amazing. Like that's for me, that's a really special technique. I think like uh, that would be a selling point. It's like you get to remember more of your life and like you can – or you could just be like, oh, that was a really great day. Yeah. And then be like, I'm going to remember that. And then you just put that into the palace. of like. So the thing with memory palaces, like, and I'm sure it sounds like you would know this, but I'll just go through it for a second. Yeah, yes, please. I, I, if, yes. <laughs> yeah, if you put something in a memory palace, like, and you just look at it once, you'll remember that information for that day. So for that day, you know, you might have learnt all the capitals of wherever and, you know, that's fantastic and amazing and amazing that you can remember it for that day. But if you want to remember it for the longer run, you will still need some spaced repetition. So the next day you'd go through the memory palace, you'd check, I can still see them all, I still know what all the capitals are. And then you might like to do it a week later and a week later and blah, 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 blah. 
Whereas if you're training for a memory competition, you just discard that information and you just start again because you're just practicing exercising your memory, right? Mm -hmm. So if you did this thing where you were doing remembering your whole life for a year, what you'd actually need to do, because I thought about this in some detail and actually sort of started trying it out with a week or two just to see if it worked. And what you'd actually need to do is you'd need to go over them here and there So what I started doing when I did this little, like, would this actually work as a thing, was I started doing it to go to sleep at night. So I'd go, oh, okay, so I'm going to go through, you know, Tuesday two weeks ago and going to sleep and just going through the memory palace and going, oh, yeah, it was a warm day and all that. And you're like, oh, yeah, and and you can see all the information. Now, that might sound like it takes a lot of time, but for people who practice with memory palaces all the time, you can actually see a lot of information very quickly. So again, it would be the same as like a photograph. You know, you look at the photograph and you intrinsically know all the things that happened, how you felt, what the dinner smelled like that's in the photo. You know, you you know those things because you experience them. So when you set up a memory palace that can take everything that happened in the day, it would take a moment to set it up because that's like the event. But then to go back over the information, you'd probably only need to sort of take a little look at the picture, which might take 10, 10 seconds or 20 seconds, depending on how much detail you wanted to go into sort of. Yeah. And that's just to keep that memory kind of alive. Sorry, that was probably a little in depth for people who might not know anything about memory palaces uh, yet. So I think they'll find it pretty. Uh, yeah, I think they'll kind of get it. So I just find all this stuff so interesting and I would love to do kind of more on it myself. Mm. We'll maybe do one more talk before we kind of sign off. And I guess this, again, kind of relates. We've tangentially ch- touched on Shogun. Actually, two things I want to do with that. <laughs> okay, firstly, before we go to the final thing, which I think everyone's going to find really interesting about language, but before that, the other part about Japanese culture specifically, I think, which could be interesting and like kind of a connection for you, and you've already touched on it with your ballet component. And this isn't me being racially profiling, I don't think, because I've got enough experience mm-hmm. with it. It's that perfect element where like Mm. there's just this real hyper specific focus on certain avenues and like just really trying to perfect that and that sounds like you might have already had that and that spoke to you i mean yeah you're totally on the right track in terms of that tends to be a character trait of a dancer and when i read shogun it resonated with me because japanese culture does have that element of doing things to the best of your ability and striving to be perfect in what it is you know that you do and so I think that there's a lot you know obviously in the book if someone someone wants to read it that you can you can get but from Japanese culture in particular there's a lot I think that it gave me and it sort of comes back to that inner self thing as well in terms of you're doing things to the best of your ability and then you're doing them in a certain way and there's certain things that you keep to yourself and then there's certain things that you share with others and then there's certain things that you share with everyone. And that sort of uh, separating of yourself and the sort of layers of people who know you sort of feeds into that purposeful choice of how you portray yourself, if that makes sense. I think, so do you mean like, I guess to try to understand it, do you mean kind of like the most nuts and bolts example I think of is you don't need to show everyone the amount of work you've put in, that's for you, and then you've got what you show to everyone, which is not that part. That's what you're doing on your own. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, but actually... The funny thing is, is that because I've realized how valuable that is, 
I've become someone who very openly shows my inner self. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite happy to show my inner self who I am because I think it's useful for other people. I think it's useful for other people to go, oh, from the outside, this person looks like that. But internally, you know, they work overly hard. They have doubts about, you know, their, their smarts. They have doubts about this, doubts about that. And that separation that people have and what they show it's okay to do that. That's fine. That's just, you know, coming across as confident or what have you. I'm, I'm completely for that. But it, I think it's good to know that other people do that as well so that people who might be feeling similar to how I was feeling or how I feel occasionally <laughs> still can go, oh, you know, a lot of people feel like that. That's normal. You know, maybe I'm not so, you know, unusual to work super hard and do well. You know, maybe that is what a lot of people who are achieving what they're setting their mind to. Maybe that is what they're doing. Maybe they aren't just smarter than me or, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it did resonate with me. And it also, I think, is just a valuable thing to do to know you know and there's always things that you wouldn't share with anyone you know that we all have these secrets you know they, they are even though I'm saying you know I'm an open book and I'll share all these things of course there's things that I would never share yeah that's that's uh, totally fair enough <laughs> yeah but I like that it's articulated do you know yeah. what I mean it's articulated it's a conscious decision rather than just uh it happens by accident mm. And I guess this is like the other side of that culture of, uh, I know you don't use the word perfectionism, but that can sometimes make people realize how much of that work goes in. So yeah, I appreciate uh, mm. what you're saying there. And I, I think along those same lines though, I'm just thinking of that Jiro Dreams of Sushi documentary as well. Oh, but yeah. even, even with your ballet thing, I think the other part of that, which I think is really maybe hyper in the Japanese culture, which you see in I think dances as well, which is like the perfectionism of tiny things. So like, is mm. it not just like a, yeah, which is what perfectionism is, but yeah, focus on the tiniest detail for an extended period of time and I think that's yeah yeah. And I, actually, I think comedians do that too, don't they? Well, some of them. So I think isn't there a style of comedian who it seems like it's just, you know, oh, they just thought of that, but actually it's like this carefully planned. A classic one is The Flight of the Concords. Do you know The Flight of, mm-hmm. Flight of the Concords? So, you know, I think it's their stuff is like quite practised and but that comes across as, oh, this is just instant. You know, this is, we, we just thought this, we just riffed on this. No, it is. And I think that's the case across a lot of fields where people think it's more casual than it is, where it's like how much work with like a mm. knife has gone in just to try to get it down to exactly perfect. So yeah, no, it's true. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, one last thing before we go, just because I've got to mention it is uh, the language element. So with memory techniques, you mentioned Spanish. So is that, did you learn how to speak Japanese? Is that... Uh, I did learn some Japanese. Well, I did learn quite a lot of Japanese. This is the imposter syndrome coming up. I did learn quite a lot of Japanese in terms of, so I went to uni and studied economics at Nagoya Uni, but a large component of what I did, I learned Japanese and the Japanese lessons were all in Japanese. So we weren't allowed to ask questions in English or anything. It was all just Japanese. And by the end of my time there, you know, I could speak Japanese well enough to, I had to stand up and do a presentation to an economics group first year students. That sounds pretty but, high level Japanese, to be honest. Well, but, you know, it's one of those things where I, we, again, I just wish I knew memory techniques because language and memory techniques are made for each other like hand in a glove. It's just, there's nothing easier than learning a list of vocabulary if you know how to use memory techniques compared to just rote learning. Because you're just changing it from something that's abstract and hard to remember into something that's like, oh, yeah, funny, I can remember that. That's easy. So, yeah, I learned Japanese. <laughs> Some I wouldn't want to speak it right now, mm-hmm. but, yeah. Yeah, I think it's one of those examples where I think the memory techniques, yeah, like you said, hand in hand. Not mm. that I've used them for anything, but yeah, I think it's... <laughs> 
Um, awesome. Okay. Well, I think we're getting towards it now. You've, it's been really interesting. I guess one last thing for anyone who's wondering, where's like a good starting point if you do want to go down this path or look into it a little bit? What's like your advice in that sense? So basically there's a lot of things out on the web that steer people in a direction that is, um, you know, to make money. So in order to make sure that you're keeping on the right track and learning techniques that work and that are tried and tested and formed in competitions follow the memory athletes blogs go and read their blogs look at their videos there's heaps of free information uh, available on the web that's what i did and you know you just have to work out what did they do to gain those skills and then do that right yeah I guess just find those people and yeah, follow them. Okay. I mean, I've, obviously I've got lots of blogs and videos and things like that too, but any of the memory athletes, you know, so just Google memory competitions and memory athletes and you will find a lot of information out there. Nice. Right. I'll, uh, yeah, and I'll also put a link to your stuff down in the, uh, down in the description. Um, so thanks very much for being on the show. It's been an absolute treat to have you. Thank you, George. A pleasure. Nice. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at Sanspants Radio, then why not subscribe to sanspantsplus.com. For as little as $5 a month, you can have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's sanspantsplus.com.